Well, good afternoon. This is Kimberly Martin, and I am proudly to be your host here at Real People OC at uh, KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. And we air each and every Thursday from 4 to 5. And I think we bring you interesting information, especially what's going on here in county life. And I was excited to do a show about, well, let's just say the title was what intrigued me. And it said, Why Butter is Back. And I've been one of those proponents of butter for a very long time. I have kept margarine out of my kids' lives. I got a lot of flack for that, I have to say. People were like, what are you using butter for? That's so fattening. And, um, you know, as you put on weight, it gets harder and harder to defend choices like that. But uh, there's a nutritional conference coming to Anaheim, and it's going to be here November 13th through the 16th. And the conference is called Wise Traditions Nutrition Conference, and it is hosted by the Weston A. Price Foundation. And this is their 16th annual conference. They bounce back and forth between the West Coast, the Central United States, and then here on back on the East Coast. So we were really, really actually fortunate to have this conference here. It's such an interesting time. We've done a lot of shows here on Real People OC about our food supply and about some of the things facing our health. And so I thought this was just another way to enhance your knowledge about why, well, let's say why some fats are good and um, maybe feeling a little less guilty when we eat some of those things that that we actually really do love. So I've brought in today one of the guest speakers that's going to be at that conference, and her name is Kim Shuti. And Kim is a CN, a certified GAPS practitioner and a nutritionist since 1999. And um, she teaches about the importance of real food for optimal health. And in 2002, she established the Biodynamic Wellness Center. And we are going to hear all about what Kim has to, um, what she's going to share at that conference. But, but more importantly, just have a really nice chat with uh, a really high quality nutritionist and hear about some of the seminars they're going to have at the Wise Traditions Conference, nutritional conference here in Anaheim Hills. So, Kim, welcome to Real People OC. I'm so glad you're here today. Well, thank you, Kimberly. It's just a pleasure to be with you. Good. Okay. So, so intriguing, the, you know, why fat is good kind of thing or why butter is back. Really excited to hear um, why that is the case, because I think, I think we've just been fed so much misinformation and gosh, that must be frustrating for you as a nutritionist. It is, you know, it's, it's always a challenge when we're meeting with new clients, because the most common thing we hear is, oh, I've been on a really healthy diet since childhood, all low fat to no fat. Hmm. Ah, and that, then we know, okay, that's the first hill we have to tackle. Right, right. So um, I just can remember the low-fat craze, people running to the aisles. And I. this is so, so. Um, I think we know better now than to go down those middle aisles of the grocery yes. store. <laughs> but that's where all the low-fat packaged cookies were, and everybody just kind of mowed on those. Um, I never fell for it. I really felt like if I was going to have sugar, it was going to be the real stuff. But um, sugar wasn't my thing, so it wasn't wasn't such a big issue. But but the fat, that's the most surprising one, is to hear that we um, shouldn't be on these really low-fat diets. Is that is that what they're saying now? Absolutely. And, you know, that's what actually Dr. Weston Price figured out back in, you know, the 1930s and 40s, 50s. He was a dentist. If, if I can, I want to just share a little bit about him. He, he was a dentist 
who started observing that more and more children that he was seeing had tooth decay. But even, even prior to the tooth decay, he was seeing that they didn't have room for their wisdom teeth. And mm. he thought, hmm. Th- and that was quite an anomaly in the early 1900s. Everyone had their wisdom teeth. Everyone had 32 teeth as adults. And about the same time, and he, then he was finding that even with the extraction of the wisdom teeth, many of these children didn't have enough room for all for the remaining 28 teeth to come in straight. Wow, I don't think I knew that any of that was being observed. That's fascinating. Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. About this time, uh, when Dr. Price was practicing, the camera was invented, travel became more accessible, National Geographic came into print, and he was observing these beautiful pictures of indigenous people from all around the world that had magnificent wide palettes, beautiful smiles, pearly white teeth. And he thought to himself, I wonder what they're doing differently than modern Americans are doing because their children seem to have palates that are wide enough to have all 32 teeth come in straight. So over about a 10-year period, he and his wife traveled to 14 different regions around the world, different climates, uh, observed different ethnic groups, and he began collecting samples of their food, and then he would bring them back to the States and test the nutrient values of the foods that they were consuming. It didn't matter if he were in um, regions like in Kenya, the continent of Africa, or if he were in the valleys of the Swiss Alps, or Peru, or Australia. What he found that was the common factor with all these people that had beautiful offspring, vibrant health, elderly were actually active and fit without any signs of chronic disease well into their hundreds. The one common factor he found was they were consuming about 10 times the amount of fat-soluble vitamins from animal fats as the average American diet of his day. Wow. And four times the amount of calcium. What he, what he later came to understand was that the fat was needed to actually get the minerals into the teeth and bones. Hmm. So he went on to, you know, d- develop so much research and knowledge that we now at the Weston A. Price Foundation consider him to be the pioneer, the most significant modern-day nutritionist of our time. Oh, very uh, interesting. So his work is what the the Weston A. Price Foundation is centered upon. So our our goal is to teach and disseminate information to people around the globe. We um, work hard with members of Congress in defending the rights of traditional farmers. We also do a lot of work um, and have made headway in other um communities, let's say, but but we are working hard to see that soy formula is banned from infant formulas. I mean, the, the soy is banned from infant formulas because of its detrimental effect to the development of, of babies. Jeez. Um, what is some of the documented detrimental effects on the soy formula? Well, soy we know is a known um, hormone disruptor. It's extremely damaging to the thyroid gland. It's also highly, highly estrogenic. So the average baby who's on soy formula is receiving the equivalent of about f- in estrogen of about five birth control pills a day. 
Oh, geez. Is that because it's GMO now or just no, because? No, because because soy is innately more estrogenic than just in the way in the compounds that are part of soy. Of course, the GMO factor is another horrific downside of soy now because the majority of soy that's being produced is owned by Monsanto and has been genetically modified. So it's extremely damaging to the gut. Okay, so, but how, you know, our country kind of fell in love with soy for the longest time because we were studying the Asian diets who consumed a lot of soy. How is their experience of soy so different from ours? Well, first of all, it's a myth that they consumed high amounts of soy. Traditional ancient Asian cultures would use soy only when it was in a fermented form meaning it had been fermented for about 24 months. Oh, wow. Soy like um, miso or nama shoyu. And they were using it as condiments in very tiny amounts. They were not making meals around soy. They weren't drinking, you know, soy milk and having soy burgers. They were using nama shoyu, which is like a raw fermented soy sauce, or nato or nama, uh, miso in a condiment portion. And there was actually, we, we found in some of the writings, Asian, you know, Asian culinary practices, that the Asian women had a little joke that if their husband was a little too frisky and too enamorous, that they would just double up on them or triple up on the amount of soy that he was being given, that, that he was given. And it would calm him right down. Absolutely, because it would oh, estrogenize oh the man. Goodness. So within Asian cultures, the, 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 the one subculture that tended to include more soy in the diet were the monks. Hmm. And they understood, not, not that they had the knowledge that it was actually estrogenic, but they certainly had a lot of innate understanding that if they would increase their soy intake, it was much easier to fulfill their vows of celibacy. Oh, my goodness. Honey, I'm cooking soy for dinner tonight. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm teasing. (laughs) That's hilarious. I think we might have just given the average housewife of Orange County a really important tip. (laughs) Exactly. Ladies, if you need a break. (laughs) If you need a break, just Just give your your stir fry. Yeah, exactly. A little soy burger, a little soy milk before bed. That's hilarious. but, But even more concerning is what it does to children. And, you know... Look, let's let's look at breast milk. I, th- I don't think there's any person in research that would argue that s- that breast milk is the most perfect food to grow humans. Breast milk is over sixty percent cholesterol. Oh, interesting. I don't think I knew that. Yes, and the human brain is sixty percent cholesterol. The brain cells are sixty percent cholesterol. How much cholesterol is in soy? Zero. Hmm. So these babies that are on soy formula. Not only are we seeing signs of endocrine disruption, over-estrogenizing of especially the, the, the little boys, the brains are getting way over-estrogenized, their endocrine system is being flooded with estrogen, which is causing so, uh, testosterone levels to actually diminish. But we're also finding that the brain um, the intellectual acuity is going to be lower mm. because the brain cells aren't being fed the raw material that th- that is needed, which is cholesterol. Jeez. You know, how do you tell a young mom that they failed their child if they find this information out at such a, you know, usually after the fact? Well, you do it with a lot of gentleness, mm-hmm. and you give them the hope 
that the human body is very resilient. We work with lots and lots of young mothers. In fact, that is my favorite um, group of people to work with. And you let them know that it's never too late, that mm-hmm. there is a lot that can be done. You know, we're, we're constantly replacing the cells in our body. We're constantly rebuilding. And so we do a lot of work remedi- remediating the health of children who've been on soy formula. Mm. Okay. And we, so we, and we see like these children can, turn around. Absolutely. Even when they're young adults? Or? Ab- absolutely. I have um, worked, and the nutritionists that are my colleagues in our practice, uh, we've all worked with a lot of young men who suffer from erectile dysfunction, hmm. even in their late 20s, early 30s. Hmm. And without exception, they all have the same story. Grew up on a, quote, healthy American diet, all low-fat, no-fat products, skim milk, mom only used egg beaters, no whole eggs. And so, of course, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to get them on good, healthy animal fats. Animal fat. Gosh, it's just so shocking to come full circle. You know, what say you of the concern and the counting of cholesterol? What 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 are your views on that? Because... Some people have high cholesterol, and they're basically told how dangerous that is. Exactly. And again, that's a fallacy. We know from many, many studies that we see much more longevity among people who, as they age, their cholesterol level gradually increases. It seems like a lot of doctors um, have forgotten because, I mean, they're so busy. They've got so much on their plate, and I think they forget some of their most basic courses that they take, uh, even before entering medical school in physiology, they learn the precursor to the body being able to produce hormones, whether they be adrenal hormones stre- for, for handling stress or sex hormones, is cholesterol. Hmm. You cannot make testosterone, you cannot make estrogen, you cannot make progesterone, you can't make cortisol, you can't make adrenaline without raw cholesterol. So the body's always adapting to your stress. When stress level goes up, the liver tends to pull out or send out cholesterol. Well, so then the next big question is, because I really don't think y'all, our audience would have any trouble eating more meats and fats because we've all been told or taught and told to reduce those things. But that's that's not where the um, good news begins, is it? No. Okay. So you can't get you can't just go make a rash decision and have more meat. What what's next? No, because really, what Dr. Price found was it was the the fat that was the most important. So we always recommend moderate amounts of protein of of the actual meat, lots of fat, like and the the fat on the the fat on the, on the meat. So hmm. instead of having your butcher trim mm-hmm. the fat, you have them keep the fat, and you're eating the fat with your protein. Your body actually uses the fat to help assimilate the protein much more efficiently. So you want to always eat your protein with fat, with the animal fat. You want to include egg yolks, get rid of the egg beaters, stop ordering the egg white only omelets, Right. Uh, get rid of the skim milk and the 2% milk, go for whole milk, whole raw milk from animals that have been allowed to graze on pasture all year long. Huh. Okay, so that's kind of the crux right now is that our modern food supply 
is um, doesn't resemble the description you just gave us. We've we've done something to build this food machine, if you will, to feed so many people that we've we've kind of bastardized the whole food machine, haven't we? We absolutely have. We now have three major corporations that control seventy five percent of the world's food supply. Oh, that's a dangerous combination for anything we want to accomplish, I would imagine. Um, but can we tell people what they can do to make a change for them? Absolutely. And that would be why attending the Weston A. Price Conference would be a great place to start. We're really privileged this year to have um, Alan Savory join us. He's going to be one of our keynote speakers. Alan has um, an institute called the Africa Center for Holistic Management and the Savory Institute. And what he's doing is he is teaching the world how to holistic, how to incorporate holistic management practices uh, to restore desert regions and turn them into fertile pastures. So oh, okay. at, interesting. at our conference um, this year and every year, we have several tracks of speakers. We have a track that is solely uh, dedicated to traditional farming techniques. So people who are already farming, but yet are interested in learning how to convert their farm to a pasture-based, a grass-based farm, can come and learn amazing principles that they can practically apply on their existing farms. Very cool. Um, We're seeing a growing movement of young people now who are wanting to return to a more traditional lifestyle. And so every, it seems like every month I'm either receiving an email or a call, hearing about a, a young couple or a group of young people who are buying a farm and going living back, off the land, living off the land, and going back to producing real food that the community around them can partake in. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. Okay, so if you're just tuning in, this is Real People OC, and I'm your host, Kimberly Martin. I'm having a delightful conversation with a nutritionist and a certified uh, GAPS practitioner. We're going to find out a little bit more about what that is. Uh, Kim Schutte. And Kim is with biodynamicwellness.com. And she's here sharing with us a, a really wonderful opportunity here in Orange County at the Anaheim Marriott on November 13th through the 16th up there in Anaheim. The annual 16th annual Wise Traditions Conference, which is sponsored by the Weston A. Price Foundation. Now you can find out more about that conference by going to Wise Traditions. Dot org, and uh, Kim is one of the one of the speakers in their lineup here, and right now she's telling us a little bit more about the. You said you have three tracks. Farming is one of them. Well, right? we have we have four, tracks. four um, tracks on the first day, Friday. We have three tracks. Okay. Uh, the first track will be taught by Sally Fallon Morell. Sally founded the Weston A. Price Foundation in 1999. Okay. Sally's also the author of many books. Um, her her first book, Nourishing Traditions, is what we would consider kind of the the Bible of our movement. Uh, it's an incredible cookbook, but it's also loaded with research and points to Dr. Price's work. So okay. Sally will basically give an all-day uh, session where she is going to explain the principles that Dr. Price uh, developed through his research. Okay. Wonderful. If you've never had an opportunity to hear Sally speak, it's it's a must attend session. Is that on Friday? That will be on Friday. Nice. 
And then the second track on Friday will be presented by Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride. Dr. McBride is a neurologist. She's also also holds her PhD in nutrition. She is the author of Gut and Psychology Syndrome. She's also the creator of the GAPS diet. Uh, Dr. Um, Natasha became interested in the role the gut plays in, in the disease process when her oldest child was diagnosed with autism. Interesting. And went back to school, studied the gut, came up with a plan that she felt would help heal her son. And within probably, I think it was three or four years, her son's autistic diagnosis was a thing of the past. Oh, my goodness. That's fascinating. Yes, she is brilliant. And so Dr. Natasha will be uh, presenting an all-day track on the gut and psychology syndrome, talking about the link between not only psychological and mental conditions, but also autoimmune disorders, chronic illnesses, and the health of the gut, the importance of good gut bacteria. And she will teach people basically how to go through the GAPS diet. Okay, so okay. that um, GAPS is, what stands for GAPS is gut and psychology syndrome. Exactly. Very cool. Okay, but I always tell my clients, not everyone with a gut issue has a psychological component to it. Sure. I have yet to come across a client with, with the psychological dis, dis, um, disorders that doesn't have a gut issue. Oh, that's an interesting finding. Yes. And we're also finding that pretty much every autoimmune condition has a gut component. Okay. So for um, in our practice, we always start with the, the GAPS diet when we're dealing with any kind of autoimmune disorder, any kind of chronic infection, of course, ADD, anxiety, um, autism, a whole spectrum of of disorders that are linked more um, with brain function. So, okay, so if somebody comes to you and they ha they present with these symptom mm -hmm. the symptomology of psychological and gut issues, what is the first? What's the first thing you do for them? What do you put them on? First thing I do is we um, teach them how to do the GAPS diet. Is it complicated? It is a commitment. Okay. okay, because it's it's a, a complete paradigm shift for most people who've grown up on the standard American diet. Hmm. So we suggest that they read Dr. Campbell McBride's book, Gut and Psychology Syndrome. That's I think it's very important for people to be educated okay. so that we get more buy-in. I think the more we, the more knowledge we have, the more empowered we are, and the more we own our program. Very good. Okay. We have uh, a very simple guide, but but comprehensive guide that we use with our clients to help their process going through the GAPS diet easier. Well, I actually have uh, one of my staff members that will go into the home and teach people how to, for instance, make yogurt, how to make sauerkraut. Uh, we also offer classes as well. There's an Another cookbook, which, by the way, the, uh, one of the authors will be speaking at the conference, it's called the Heal Your Gut Cookbook. And this cookbook was designed to take people through the GAPS diet from start to finish. There's an intro diet that involves six stages, and it's a way to gently kind of detox the gut and help seal the gut wall lining. And so you're gradually, in those six stages, you're adding 
foods as you progress. Okay. So Hillary Boyton and Mary Brackett wrote this fabulous cookbook called The Heal Your Gut Cookbook to go along with the GAPS diet. So Monday, Hillary will be doing an all-day workshop, Monday, November 16th. So it will be a cooking workshop oh, very on cool. the last day of the conference. Oh, very cool. Okay, nice. So for people that, especially people that are local and can take Mondays off, it would be a well-spent day to be at the conference for for Hillary's class. I think, isn't that Monday a holiday too? I'm not sure. Maybe I'm it's, not, I'm not maybe sure. It's, oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of a different weekend. Jeez. Okay. But it should be a holiday. It should be. Make it one. <laughs> exactly. A, a personal health day for sure, right? Absolutely. Okay. So the gut, the GAPS diet involves making your own yogurt or eating fermented foods? Making that- your, yes, exactly. Making your own yogurt or we have, there, there are a couple of brands of yogurt that are well-made. And so we will give our clients list of sources that they can purchase that comply with what we need. So okay. so many of the yogurts that are on the market today are loaded with sugar. They're not yogurt really. They're not real yogurt. Yeah, they're like a, a you know, a gelatinous thing that is resembling yogurt. Exactly. <laughs> and and of course the most important part of the GAPS diet is using meat broths and bone broths which are high in the amino acids and as well as the different fats that are so important in healing the gut. So Dr. Natasha talks about those in her book. Hillary and Mary go through that in their book as well. But that's a very key, it's like the centerpiece of the diet. Is the broths. I- exactly. Okay. Now, is it important that those bones come from grass-fed pastured animals, or does that, dip, does you know, that matter? It, it really isn't. Uh, it's preferable in my mind, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of that is just from an ethical standpoint. I would always rather support a rancher who is allowing his animals to graze on pasture all you know all of their lives Uh, but we have many people that live in areas where they just don't have easy access and Dr. Natasha always says hey bone broth from any bones is going to be better than no bone broth at all okay so and a lot of people are on budgets and so we have to help them work within their constraints can you go to a butcher and just say, I want a bunch of bones? Absolutely. To make your, how does that, What? just give me an example of a conversation like that, if anybody wants to try it. Because, you know, when you go to a Trader Joe's or, you know, a, a purveyor that provides freshly cut meat but isn't an actual butcher, that's not going to be an option to, to get the bones that you want in quantities, right? You'd have to go to a traditional grocer maybe? Well, definitely the more um, whole food type, Grocers, like we're, you know, and there are many that are not, quote, Whole Foods, but up here in Orange County, you have Mother's Market. Um, There are a lot of options where you can go and buy the bones individually. There are actually online companies now where you can buy the bones frozen and they'll ship them to you. But let's just start with um, making chicken broth. Okay. All right. Which is usually where I have my clients begin. If they're going to be on the intro diet in the first phase they're going to be using meat meat stock or meat broth. And so they're going to be making this broth from meaty bones. So the easiest thing to do is just take a whole chicken. Okay. And you, you're, you've simmered the chicken for a couple of hours. Ideally, if you can cut it, you know, like fillet it, just allow it to um, be in pieces. Right. You're going to expose the bones more. Then after a couple hours, you pull, pull the the whole carcass out and debone it 
so that you have the meat left over. And then you strain it, and what you end up with is the meat stock. So it's stock that's made from meaty bones. Very good. And then you, you debone it. Now you have just the bones and, of course, your vegetables that you're using along with it. You put the bones back in that are left over, and I like to always add chicken feet because ah. that's going to increase the gelatin content okay. in, the, in the broth or stock. And so now to make a bone broth, a bone broth you're going to simmer much longer. And when I say simmer, you're, you're bringing it up to the point of, of a boil and then taking it very quickly down to a, ver- a super low simmer. Okay. Just a bubble here, a bubble there. Gotcha. Because you don't want to overheat it. Right. Because that'll break down the gelatin. And kill what we need. Well, it will still be really high in minerals, okay. which is very important. But the gelatin, if you can end up with a meat stock or a bone broth that's, that is that nice gelatinous jello type so substance. That gelatin is when you are making the stock. What rises to the top is the fat. Right. What sinks to the bottom is what I would just call the schputz. I don't know what you'd <laughs> call that. I, but the stuff in the middle when it's been in the fridge overnight, if that turns to gelatin, is that what we want? That's what we want. Okay. Absolutely. And it's easy to scrape off the fat, but do you advocate scraping oh, off no, the fat? You no. want the fat in your soup, right? I want the fat in my soup. Oh my soups. God, I've been throwing that away I for want, years. Yes. And oh sometimes, my gosh. Now, here's what I've I've found. Many times, because the average American has been on all of these new... And f- my mother told me to, too. Oh, I know. That's oh, you've the worst got to get part. rid of all that fat dress. <laughs> I can't believe I've been doing it wrong. I know. Well, you know, we all are learning every day, right? Yes. So not to put our mothers down or anything, but this is this is eye-opening, isn't it? It's very eye-opening. Um, you know, there's a lot that many of our mothers taught us that was right, but at least my mom, you know, she grew up in the day when they were celebrating Hamburger Helper and oh God. All, <laughs> so all, all these quick, you know, fast foods and less time in the kitchen. Or canned vegetables. Canned vegetables. Even. Oh my gosh, that just breaks my heart. Yeah, vegetables that were just cooked to smithereens, you know. They were a, a figment of a vegetable's imagination more yes, than and, anything, right? And, you know, back in about 19, I think it was 1957, is when the American public was subjected to a night of propaganda. All three networks, back in the day when we only had three networks instead mm-hmm. of a thousand, mm-hmm. um, all three networks were purchased and this prudent health diet was promoted. And the American people heard how bad cholesterol was, how bad saturated fat was. And I can remember, um, I'm sure my grandmother was listening to that because I can remember uh, my grandmother serving us, and she was a fabulous cook, but all of a sudden she's serving us sherbet mm. and mazzola corn oil is oh. showing up in her pantry. And th- there was a huge shift. You know, uh, Fleischmann's margarine became <coughs> very in vogue back in those days. Has anybody gone back and tried to discredit some of those sources that brought that information to bear? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, and that's what the Weston A. Price Foundation has spent a lot of time doing, is going back and discussing all the fallacies that were perpetuated by literally the cholesterol myth. Mm. Um, so, and you'll see this, this year at our conference, our 
our theme is focus on fats. Love it. And so butter's we'll, back, baby. Butter is back. And we, <laughs> I did one thing right. <laughs> yes, exactly. And you know, one of one of our research the researchers that will be speaking at the conference, Chris Master John. Chris um, has his PhD. He is um, assistant professor of health and uh, nutrition science at Brooklyn College. And Chris has his own story of how he reversed his um, health problems after being on a vegan diet, discovered the Weston A. Price Foundation, turned his health around. Um, He's a nutrition researcher and really an expert on fat, especially fat-soluble vitamins. And so Chris will be going into a lot of wonderful talks. We also have a talk on heart disease. Okay. Uh, by a dear friend of mine, Dr. Louisa Williams. Dr. Williams is a practitioner in Austin, Texas. She's also the author of Radical Medicine. Mm. She's going to do a great talk on Sunday morning of the conference on heart disease. Very, and very good. that will be a, a talk well worth attending. So, but okay. let, me, let me just mention one thing. Um, the most common challenge I see when new people when people start the gaps diet and they're on these uh, rich meat stocks oftentimes they complain of being nauseous and that's because their livers and especially the their gallbladders of most of these of most modern americans are so congested from years of being on a low fat diet years of eating um, denatured vegetable oils which go rancid very quickly and contribute to congestion in the gallbladder. So as the bile, which the liver produces and is stored in the gallbladder, becomes very thick and sluggish, it actually impairs a person's ability to digest real fat. So that's what they're experiencing then? That's what they're experiencing. Exactly. It's not that the meat stock is bad or the bone broth is bad. It's that their biliary tract is so congested, they can't properly digest the fat. So we have to immediately work with them on incorporating foods like, um, or drinks like beet kvass, which is a fermented uh, beet beverage that actually helps decongest the liver. We'll Hmm. have them uh, drink purified water with lemon juice every morning to help decongest. We might have them add bile salts or bitters. But there's, there's many things that we'll do to help support them as they go through the GAPS diet. And usually within a week, they're enjoying the meat stock and they're starting to s- experience healing symptoms. How often throughout the day are they fasting on beef broth or how does no, that work? No, I mean, th- there's no reason to ever be hungry when you're on the GAPS diet. Okay. So you're having regular, no, you're ha- it's definitely not a fast. And I find that most people who are chronically ill uh, many of them have blood sugar issues, and the mm-hmm. worst thing you could do is put them on a fast when they're on in that kind of sure. a state. Now, is the gallbladder uh, the the sluggish gallbladder? Uh, one of those cleanses you can do is the one that when you do it, you drop all those little pea size. Uh, right. Wh- which one is that? That's well, it's a liver. That, that you're describing liver. a liver gallbladder flush. Okay. Which can be used while on the GAPS diet. We're not going to do it immediately. I always recommend that people wait, and we kind of clean up the house a little bit before we start doing a... Before we have the housekeeper Yes, exactly. (laughs) The cleaning before the cleaning. Before the cleaning, absolutely. Because we want to make sure that blood sugar levels are regulated. We want to start seeing uh, the body gently release some toxicity before we go in and do something that could be a little bit too aggressive. 
Okay. Okay. All right. So, oh, well, that's exciting. So the the bone broth is one of the big parts of the GAPS diet. So can somebody enjoy pro? Is it this going to be a more protein diet or? Well, it's, it's really a combination. It's a combination. They're going to be eating, um, incorporating moderate amounts of protein, lots of vegetables. They're going to be including lacto-fermented vegetables as well, like sauerkraut or kimchi or different uh, pickles of sorts. So there's going to be a huge variety. They will also be incorporating cultured dairy, like yogurt or kefir. Okay. So I'm, you know, I've been studying a little bit about the paleo diet. This is very different from that, isn't it? There are some similarities, um, and there are many different versions of the paleo diet out there. So years ago when the paleo diet was first being promoted, there was a lot of talk about lean meats. Mm. And of course, no dairy. What's what's their beef with dairy? Ha well, ha. Pun, <laughs> exactly. pun intended. I'm getting really good at food pun puns. <laughs> and you know, I, 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 I follow a few of the paleo um, bloggers and notice that some of them are starting to incorporate dairy. Mm. But the premise is that when man was a hunter-gatherer, he was not eating dairy. He was only eating what he could hunt or what he could pick or okay. gather. So lots of animal meats. And actually, we know early man was eating a lot of animal fat and organ meats. Mm. And then, of course, he, whatever he could forage. But as we became farmers as agriculture was introduced, really that's what allowed us to settle down and quit being nomads. Mm. That's what allowed civilization to occur. That's what allowed the arts and knowledge and literature to flourish because we could actually settle down long enough to learn. Or to think about something something other than our next meal. Yeah. So uh, we, we welcome people in the paleo community to be at the conference because I think there's a lot that we teach that they certainly appreciate. And um, so we are a, a place where paleo people are certainly welcomed. We just want to always emphasize that the diet needs to be really heavy on the fats. We can't, we don't feel that, especially for children, lean meats are not appropriate for young children. They need to be eating They the need fat. to be eating the fat. Any of us who are under any kind of stress need to be eating the fat, hmm. which I would say that's probably most people living in urban areas and certainly, um, and even in the rural areas. Life, modern life, is very is full of stressors, and so we have to have the fats in order to nourish our glands that provide the body with stress handling hormones. So if you're just tuning in, this is Kimberly Martin, and I am the host of Real People OC, and we air each and every week from 4 to 5, and this is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I am having a really enlightening discussion with nutritionist and certified GAPS practitioner, Kim Schutte, and uh, she is telling us about the upcoming Wise Traditions uh, food um, I'm sorry, nutritional conference that's being held in Anaheim at the Anaheim Marriott on November 13th through the 16th. And you can find out more about the uh, Wise Traditions annual conference at wisetraditions.org. And it is sponsored by the Weston A. Price Foundation. Now, 
they are Weston A. Price is the proponents of farming again, right? Wouldn't you Absolutely. say that's where they put a lot of their attention and We time? put a lot of attention in supporting small traditional farms. In fact, we started an, another nonprofit organization, the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund, for the purpose of providing legal um, support for all the f- small, f- so many of the small farms who are now being challenged by the FDA and companies like Monsanto. Well, and and being able to protect their harvest from, you know, neighboring, we'll call them bad winds from what what's being brought over from the crops that we are trying to avoid, right? right. Yeah, it's a huge, huge battle. And it was a need that we saw uh, was uh, so important to meet. So that's why we established the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund. Okay, very interesting. If you want to find out more about Weston A. Price, where do you go for that? Well, the best place to go is to our website, WestonAPrice.org. Okay. You can also follow us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. And then we, um, we publish a quarterly journal called Wise Traditions, which is a wonderfully written journal full of both nutritional updates, legislative updates, uh, as well as nutritional information, recipes, all kinds of uh, wonderful articles written by nutritionists, researchers, professors, um, medical doctors. So it's a great resource to get every quarter um, to just keep yourself current. Okay. Um, and the the journal is part of what we send to all of our members. So you can join the foundation for $40 a month. I mean, excuse me, $40 a year. Oh, very nice. Which allows you the journal every quarter. It also gives you a nice discount to our conferences every year. Okay. Um, now, if you want to find out more about Kim Shuti, you can also go to her website at biodynamicwellness.com. That's biodynamicwellness.com. So, I'm loving the track that we're discussing about fats, and I'm still, I'm, I'm, I have to say, I'm still a little shocked. Uh, what, what's the best way? Well, let's let me just back up a second. What would be the best way for a vegetarian to incorporate the kinds of fats that they need into their diet if they're not going to go the route of animal fat? That's a challenge, um, and one of the biggest challenges is the fact that they will have no dietary source of vitamin A. There's a big misconception out there that all you need to do is eat lots of carrots and your body will have as much vitamin A as it needs. The reality is carrots do not contain vitamin A. There is no vitamin A in the plant kingdom. There is carotenoids, beta carotene, but in order for the human body to actually have vitamin A, we have to take in dietary sources, which are only found in animal fats. Then the beta carotene that we get from our, the, the carrots we're eating every day can be in, converted by our liver, which stores vitamin A from animal fats. One of the speakers that we're going to have at the conference um, this year who is fabulous is this young little high-energy author, Denise Minger, she wrote um, Death by Food Pyramid. And Denise <laughs> Great title. Yeah, Denise was uh, ventured into the land of, of raw veganism, uh, found that it was actually very detrimental to her health, learned about the Western Price Foundation, 
incorporated traditional foods and is uh, quite a spokeswoman. She's amazing. So I know Denise will talk a lot about the importance of of fat. I wish that we could, I could sit here and tell, you know, vegans that there's a great way to get fats into their diet. There isn't. So avocados and almonds doesn't cut it. Avocados and almonds are great, but they contain no cholesterol. Mm. So they're not going to provide that raw material that our, our glands need to make hormones. It's so fascinating. One of the topics that she's going to discover is the role of bad science and how it's playing its um, havoc on our current health decisions. I remember that campaign about poor eggs when they were let out of jail and they were <laughs> cheering as they were coming out from behind bars. Yes. So fascinating, isn't it? Oh, it is. That um, we can sit here and have a discussion that cholesterol is good. Is, are we being risky and dangerous? Would, would our listeners maybe want to call in and go, stop that madness? And, and if so, where's the science to prove what we're saying so that they can look those sources up? Well, what I would recommend, the easiest uh, place I can point people to is the Weston A. Price website. We have a search engine. You can go in, you can plug in any health topic, and you will be led to a number of different articles on any topic you can probably imagine, and they're all going to be science-based, well-referenced, coming from scientists that aren't being funded by the food industry. And okay. I think that is really key. So much of the information that we received in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, which moved us away from traditional fats, moved us away from what was truly the traditional American diet, bacon and eggs in the morning, roast beef for dinner, cultured yogurt. Uh, you know, a lot of the foods that we saw our great-grandparents eating, we, we made a huge shift. And, but they weren't living to be 100 either, though. So where was the disconnect? I think the disconnect was, but, but you also have to look at how were they living while they were living. Many of us have, you know, I can say my, my grandfather died probably when he was 91. You know, just weeks before he died, he was out mowing his lawn. Ah. So he was, I think, while... Possibly, you know, definitely many of our grandparents weren't living to be 100, but they were living well while they did live. A friend of mine was just telling me a story about her grandmother who was had been diagnosed with cancer, age 88. They went in, opened her up. The doctor found that her, the cancer was just, you know, had spread throughout all of her glands and organs. They just closed her back up, said, Really, there's nothing we can do. She's 88. Doctors talked to you know her son and um, her couple of sons, and the sons decided, you know what? There's no sense in telling mom this. It's not going to serve her well. We're just going to let her live the 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 months she has left, carefree, and not put this burden on her. Well, you want to know when she died? Hmm. She died at 99 and a half. Holy ten and a half God. years later. So what did she do in those ten and a half years? She square danced. And then she oh. finally fell and broke her hips and passed and away very quickly. Probably from pneumonia. Yeah, exactly. So I think uh, sometimes, you know, as we, as we age, if we don't have a lot of unnecessary medical intervention, we're going to die and age much more gracefully than many people are today because we're 
having so much intervention Mm. that creates a lot of complications. And so people are living, maybe they're living five years longer than they would have, but are they really living? Right, right. Okay, so we've opened up so many um, interesting things. I do want to address one of them, though, that's such a hot button right now is the gluten intolerance. Mm-hmm. Um, where does the Weston A. Price Foundation sit on breads and legumes? I know those are two separate things, but um, breads and grains. Those. Okay, and and this probably is the biggest uh, point where we um, differ from the popular paleo movement is that we do not believe that everyone should abstain from grains and legumes. You know, Dr. Weston Price found some very healthy um, groups of people, especially um, in Switzerland. There was uh, there were three different villages he studied there, and one of their primary food sources was this beautiful um, fermented rye, you know, sourdough rye bread that they they grew the rye in their their rich lush valleys. They fermented it into this beautiful sourdough bread, and they were primarily um, existing on sourdough bread, raw goat cheese, organ meats, and lots and lots of butter. Hmm. Okay, so but but the problem is with gluten intolerance in this country and in most modern um, societies now, is that the way the gluten is processed, you know, it, traditional people had the wisdom to know, they understood that grains needed to be fermented for days, if not weeks, prior to being made into food or being made oh. into to bread. The reason is the soaking process will actually release the phytic acid that is naturally occurring in the grains. Phytic acid has a very um, necessary role in the growing it actually helps protect the grain as it's growing but if it's not released then the phytic acid will actually bind up some of the key minerals that we find in grains same thing with legumes so magnesium iron copper zinc a lot of those minerals won't be accessible if the phytic acid isn't released if it's not released it actually makes the grain undigestible and the other challenge we have is modern gluten is a much more complex structure than the gluten that we find in some of the ancient grains like einkorn. So even even back in Hippocrates' day, which by then man was farming, but Hippocrates knew that the grain was beneficial solely dependent upon the manner in which it was prepared. Interesting. Okay, but we seem to have lost that with that knowledge with Wonder Bread. Yes. You think about it, grain is milled very quickly. Even sell Wonder Bread anymore. I think they do. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I know we used to take Wonder Bread from our, you know, grew up with Wonder Bread sandwiches. And I can remember at lunchtime peeling the crust. Uh My girlfriends and I would sit there in second grade. We'd peel the crust off and we'd get our slices of. Wonder Bread down in down to half inch cubes. A little ball of yeah, get a half inch cube. Yeah, and you would eat it and that way. We would eat it that way. We would roll ours out and make pizza dough out of it. Oh, <laughs> but you so, know, I'm happy to say that my kids have never had um, Wonder Bread. Yes, well, yes good for good not for having you. It. But you know, I don't feel like even you know having this discussion that. I manage, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with incomplete information. Right. Uh, as so many of us are. And I, then not only.
only is it incomplete, it's also concomitantly a barrage of information. Right. There's so much information. It is so hard to know what to do. And I would imagine that's probably what led you to do what it is that you're doing as a nutritionist, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And and I think um, what we need to keep in mind is to really understand what's best for us, we need to look back to the wisdom of ancient people. Way back. Who not, actually... Not our parents not or our Not our parents, not even our grandparents. Yeah. We need to look at those cultures that exuded vibrant, wonderful health on into their latter years. And that's what Dr. Price did. One of the uh, speakers that we're going to have is a friend of mine, Min Kim. And she was actually a client whose family was suffering from different gut, gut issues. And she took her family through the GAPS diet when it was time to, for them to transition and start incorporating grains into the diet. I shared with Min, now you need to make sure that you're grains are properly soaked and fermented, properly prepared, taught her how to prepare rice and quinoa so that her family would be able to get the most out of it. And she said, but what about bread? I said, oh, you're going to have to make your own bread. So Min spent about nine months researching and perfecting her technique for making bread. She makes the most amazing true sourdough bread. So she's going to be one of the speakers. Is she, I bel- gonna, is she sharing it by way of selling it? <laughs> yeah, well, she she did sell it for a I while. And bread. the demand was so overwhelming, she finally had to say, you know what, I think I would serve the community better by teaching them, teaching everyone how to how make, to make it. Yes, teach them to fish. Yes. <laughs> so men will be speaking on um, our cooking class on Friday of the conference. She will be doing a workshop on how to make true sourdough bread. She's going to do a talk on using einkorn, a very ancient uh, breed of, of wheat. Oh, very cool. But her, her bread is absolutely amazing. We've had people who uh, not only were they gluten intolerant, but they were diagnosed with celiac disorder or disease. Took them through the GAPS diet, which is a process of of cleaning out and healing the gut, then introduce them to grains properly prepared, put them on the true fermented sourdough bread, and they do fine. Fascinating. Yeah, it's amazing. So we're actually, believe it or not, drawing down on our hour. Okay. And um, I wanted just to mention one more time, well, there was two other speakers we didn't get to. Uh, Philip Weeks, who's a leading holistic health practitioner from the UK. Yeah. He's an herbalist, an acupuncturist, a naturopath, and he employs the ancient wisdom, Chinese and Ayurvedic and Greek medicine in his clinics. And then Stephanie Seneff, did we talk right. about her? Right. Uh, and these are two of um, the don't want to miss speakers. I mean, every year I end up buying the recordings because you oftentimes have speakers that overlap. Um, Dr. Weeks will be doing an all-day track on Friday. He will be phenomenal. He will be talking about uh, detoxification. He will be talking about adrenal support, incorporating different traditional uh, therapies from the modal uh, from the cultures you talked about: Chinese, Ayurvedic, Greek. Wonderful speaker. We're really excited to have him. And then Dr. Stephanie Sinef. Uh, we are really blessed to have um, Dr. Sinef speak uh, annually at our conferences. She is a scientist from MIT. She is probably one of the leading authorities on genetically modified organisms. 
she's incredible. She also is an expert in the importance of sulfur and magnesium. And I think Stephanie will be speaking on Sunday morning. Okay, very cool. All right, so um, as we're drawing down on our time, I want to give you the information. Butter is back, everybody. So if you love butter and you've been missing it, and it sounds to me like breads as well, what a great uh, way to go and to get educated about um, the Wise Traditions Foundation, uh, Weston A. Price Wise Traditions Annual Conference, which circles back on the West Coast about every three years. So we're lucky enough to hit it this year. There is going to be a raw milk symposium, which I think is going to be fascinating. But um, Wise Tradition, I would say, would attract health-conscious families, farmers, chefs, journalists, and health professionals from all over the world. And uh, if this sounds like something that interests you, a little thought-provoking interview that we're having here to lead up to that, um, well, then go and check out wisetraditions.org. And then if you want to find out more about our speaker today, Kim Schutte, um, her website is biodynamicwellness.com. And if you really want to dig deep, then you can go to westonaprice.org. Is that? Okay. Um, especially if you want to turn your backyard into a farm. That's a really <laughs> great place to start. So, Kim, it's been a pleasure having you. I have so many more questions. I I think that's the best kind of interview when you didn't get through all of them. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, Kimberly, for having me. All right.